don't know what to do. What do you mean? Like, what do we say? I don't know. Introduce yourself. You introduce yourself. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast, True Crimes and Story Times. I'm Michelle, and obviously, there's something missing. My partner in crime, my best friend, is not here today for the recording. Her and her family came down with the flu, unfortunately, and they just are sick, and she doesn't want to give it to me or my boyfriend, Austin, obviously. And we don't want it either. (laughs) So, she unfortunately will not be here today. Um, And I also did her episode for Friday. So, when the episode comes out Friday, she still will not be back. But she will be back next week. Um, Be ready for our episode on Friday. Because it is about the toolbox killers. And I read her research. She did a great job, as always. And... Let's get into what we're talking about today, our story time episode, because I am back with the story times. I also want to apologize for not releasing our last episode for the Casey Anthony. We were going to go over the documentary snippets and just kind of talk about it, but I really didn't like how the episode turned out. Um... It was basically an episode of us just constantly ranting the whole time, and I felt like it just wasn't it. I didn't really like it, so we didn't release it. Um, But other than that, let's just jump right into our episode. Oh, also, our Patreon is up. We got our Patreon up. First of the year, it's up. Let's go. Shout out to Kirsten. She did a great job. She really handled a lot of it, because obviously... I was pretty busy, um, but anywho, let's just jump right into this, and the link for the Patreon will be in the show notes, by the way. So today, I'm covering the Silent Twins. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's pretty popular, pretty creepy, as far as I know. I've heard about it before I covered it, so I thought it would be cool to just go over it and talk about this. I think twins are a cool thing. I think they're different, obviously, and they have some sort of connection that other people probably will never understand. Um, but let's get into this. Uh, take a shot every time I say, um. <laughs> June and Jennifer Gibbons were born on April 11th, 1963 in Aden, Yemen, which is a country in West Asia. They were daughters of Gloria and Aubrey Gibbons, and they were from the Caribbean. The family moved from Barbados which is in the Caribbean, to the UK, or the United Kingdom. They moved there in the early 1960s as part of the Windrush generation, and if you don't know what that is, after World War II, many Caribbean people migrated to North America and Europe, especially in the United States, Canada, United Kingdom, France, and the Netherlands. As a result of the losses during the war, the British government began to encourage mass immigration from mainland Europe to fill shortages in the labor market, this was not enough, and citizens from the former countries of British of the British Empire 
and Commonwealth also began to seek work in the UK. The British Nationality Act of 1948 gave citizenship of the UK and colonies to all people living in the United Kingdom and its colonies and the right of entry and settlement in the UK. Many West Indians were attracted by better prospects and what would what was offered to as a mother country. So a lot of people moved there just for a better life in general. June and Jennifer had three other siblings, the oldest, Greta, David, the middle child, and Rosie, the youngest. So David was a middle child other than the twins. In 1960, Aubrey went to stay with a relative in Coventry and soon qualified as a staff technician. So Gloria, Greta, and David soon followed him. Gloria worked as a housewife and Aubrey a technician for the Royal Air Force. Then the twins were born. The family relocated not long after their births to England. And then they relocated again to Harvardford, West Wales. The twin sisters were absolutely inseparable, and their language made it hard for people to understand. They spoke a sped-up Bajan Creole. Sorry if I am butchering any of this. I am American. We butcher everything that is not American, unfortunately. Um, I'm so sorry if I'm butchering any of this. English-based Creole language with African and British influences spoken on the Caribbean island of Barbados. Bajan is prim- primarily a spoken language, meaning that in general, standard English is used in print, in the media, in the judicial system, in the government, and in day-to-day business, while Bajan is reserved for less formal situations in music or in social commentary. The twins were the only black children in the community, and I think we unfortunately know where this going, where this is going. They were often ostracized at school, and bullied just for being different and this obviously caused a lot of trauma for them they eventually eventually the school administrators began to dismiss them early every day so they could avoid the bullying their language started to become more and more unintelligible to others at this time and not long after no one could understand what they were saying at all they created their own language and they they basically spoke to each other The twins started doing simultaneous actions, and they often mirrored what the other was doing. They started to isolate themselves more and more until they spoke to no one other than themselves and their youngest sister, Rose. So they continued to speak to her. Maybe it's because they were her older sibling and she was the baby. I get it. I have two brothers, so, and I'm the oldest, so I totally get that. The twins started to refuse to read or write at school but they continued to go to school. And in 1974, there was a medic who came to the school to administer vaccinations. He described their behavior as doll-like and reported it to the headmaster. He was very, like, I wouldn't go as far as to say creeped out, but just kind of weirded out by their behavior. The headmaster brushed off the girls' behavior and said they were not especially troubled. They didn't really cause a ruckus, they didn't really do anything, but the medic ended up reporting the twins to a child psychologist. So, the girls began seeing therapist after therapist after therapist. The therapist continually tried to get them to talk to other people besides themselves, but the girls refused. In February of 1977, the twins saw a speech therapist, Anne Traharn. She met with the two girls and they refused to speak in her presence. 
June and Jennifer consented to having their dialogues recorded if left alone. Anne had the sense that June wished to speak to her, but was being compelled not to do so by Jennifer. And she would later say that Jennifer sat there with an expressionless gaze, 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 but I felt her power. The thought entered my mind that June was possessed by her twin. I feel like that's kind of far-fetched, but I mean, Anne was just a speech therapist, so I don't know. Um, I just feel like that's kind of far-fetched, especially when we get into what happened later on down the road. They were then sent to separate boarding schools to try and break them apart and get them to talk to others, but it only ended up sending the twins into a catatonic state and they entirely withdrew from everyone and everything. They wanted nothing to do with anyone. There was even one instance where they tried to get June out of bed, but they said she was basically like a corpse. She was dead weight. She It took two people to get her out of bed and they leaned her up against the wall and she was absolutely stiff. She would not do anything. They were eventually reunited and spent several years isolating themselves in their bedroom. Quote, We had a ritual. We'd kneel down by the bed and ask God to forgive our sins. We'd open the Bible and start chanting from it and pray like mad. We'd pray to him not to let us hurt our family by ignoring them, to give us strength to talk to our mother, our father. We couldn't do it. Hard it was. Too hard. June and Jennifer played with dolls with each other, creating elaborate plays for them to play out. The plays were acted out in a soap opera style, and sometimes they read them aloud on tape as gifts to their sister Rose. Years later, June summarized the dynamic with her sister as such, quote, one day she'd wake up and be me, and one day I would wake up and be her, and we used to say to each other, give me back myself. If you give me back myself, I'll give you back yourself. So a little game they played, but sounds a little bit like an identity crisis. I don't know. Sounds a little sketch, but I, they were just kids. You, you know, someone that looks exactly like you, I'm sure is kind of trippy for anyone. The twins were inspired by a pair of gift diaries on Christmas in 1979. They begin writing their careers. They actually bought a mail order course in creative writing. The twins kept extensive diaries and wrote stories, poems, and even novels. The stories were often set in the United States, and particularly in Malibu, California. The stories often depicted young men and women who exhibit strange and often criminal behavior. June wrote a story titled The Pepsi-Cola Addict, and in the story, a high school hero is seduced by a teacher and sent away to a reformatory where a homosexual guard makes a play for him. The twins eventually put their money together from unemployment benefits in order to get the novel published by Vanity Press, which is a publisher. This is the only work that you can access from June and Jennifer, period. It actually remained unavailable for purchase and held in only five, five libraries in the world. Isn't that insane? But this was only until October 2022, last year. Because right now when I'm recording, it's January 1st, 2023. So in October 2022, it was then republished as a limited edition print by Casson's Gap. And, and it will be published in May 2023 by the MIT Press. And I have to get it. I have to. 
and I'm sure Kirsten will say the exact same thing. Like, I have to get it. (laughs) Unfortunately, their other attempts at publishing novels and stories were unsuccessful. But, Cashin's Gap is planning to release more stories or novels from June and Jennifer in the future. Jennifer wrote The Pugilist, a physician who is so eager to save his child's life that he kills the family dog to obtain his heart for a transplant. The dog's spirit lives on in the child and ultimately has its revenge against the father. That sounds crazy. Jennifer also wrote Discomania, the story of a young woman who discovers that the atmosphere of a local disco incites patrons to insane violence. She followed up with the taxi driver's son, a radio play called Postman and Postwoman, and several short stories. June Gibbons is considered to be an outsider writer, which means that she was self-taught and a lot of her work is not will not be recognized until after her death. In their later teen years, things took a turn. They started to use drugs and alcohol, and in 1981, June and Jennifer started to commit a number of crimes, including vandalism, petty theft, and arson. The twins were then admitted to Broadmoor Hospital, which was a high-security mental health hospital, which we all know how those were going in the 1980s. Not great. Not good at all. I mean, have you guys seen some of those? The ones that are in the, like... Literally have a graveyard outside because they killed people. Yeah, look it up. It's nuts. So the twins were then sentenced to indefinite detention under the Mental Health Act of 1983. The Mental Health Act 1983 is an act of the Parliament of the United Kingdom. It covers the reception, care, and treatment of mentally disordered people, the management of their property, and other related matters forming part of the mental health law for the people in England and Wales. In particular, it provides a legislation by which people diagnosed with a mental disorder can be detained in a hospital or police custody and have their disorder assessed or treated against their wishes, informally known as sectioning. Its use, its use is reviewed and regulated by the Care Quality Commission. So, I didn't know what that was, so I just wanted to put what it was in here. Um, The link will be in the show notes if you want to read more about it. June and Jennifer ended up spending 11 11 years at Broadmoor Hospital. Insane. That is literally crazy. They spent 11 years at a mental health hospital. In the 1980s at that. Yikes. June would later say that the reason for the long sentence was their mutinous. Mutinous. Quote, juvenile delinquents get two years in prison. We got 12 years of hell because we didn't speak. We lost hope, really. I wrote a letter to the queen asking her to get us out, but we were trapped. They were placed on high doses of antipsychotics. The twins found it difficult to concentrate, and Jennifer developed tardive dyskinesia, which is a neurological disorder resulting in involuntary and or repetitive movements. So they literally pumped them so full of antipsychotics that Jennifer developed a neurological disorder. How sad is that? How many other people did that happen to? Their medications were then significantly adjusted so they could continue in their diaries that they had begun back in 1980. June and Jennifer were able to join the hospital choir and eventually they both lost interest in creative writing, but the twins had a pact. 
And do you guys know where, know where this is going right now? You might think you do, but it's a little bit of a twist. So if one died, the other must begin to speak and live a normal life. And during their hospital stay, they started to believe that it was necessary for one of them to die. That's, that's how much they wanted to live a normal life. They were so connected to each other, but at the same time, they wanted to live their own lives. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. But again, they felt like they had a pact with each other as twins and just had that such a high connection. After much discussion between the girls, Jennifer agreed she would be the one that needed to sacrifice her life. In March of 1993, the twins were transferred from Broadmoor to Caswell Clinic in Bridgen, Wales. On arrival, Jennifer could not be awoken. She was taken to the hospital, where she ultimately died. Jennifer died of myocarditis, the sudden inflammation of the heart, and she was only 29 years old. Isn't that insane? There was no evidence of drugs or poison in her system. June then revealed that Jennifer had been acting strangely for about a day before their release. Her speech had been slurring and she had said that she was dying. On the trip to Caswell, Jennifer slept in June's lap with her eyes open. And on a visit a few days later, June was in a strange mood. So, on the trip to Caswell, Jennifer slept in June's lap with her eyes open. She was dead. On a visit a few days later... June was in a strange mood. She would go on to say, quote, I'm free at last, liberated, and at last Jennifer has given up her life for me, end quote. She also described it as a tsunami, washing her of her sins and being free of her sister. Jennifer was interred in St. Martin's Cemetery, Harvard West, Pembrokeshire, Wales. And after Jennifer's death, June gave interviews with Harper's Bazaar and The Guardian. By 2008, she was living quietly and independently near her parents in West Wales. She wasn't monitored anymore by psychiatric services, and she had been since been accepted by her community and sought to put her past behind her. A 2016 interview with her sister Greta revealed that the family had been deeply troubled by the girls' incarceration. She blamed Broadmoor for ruining their lives and for neglecting Jennifer's health. She had wanted to file a lawsuit against Broadmoor, but Aubrey and Gloria refused, saying it would not bring Jennifer back. June is still alive and living to this day. So some of this information I got from this journalist. The case achieved notoriety due to newspaper coverage by journalist Marjorie Wallace of the Sunday Times. She later wrote a book about the two titled The Silent Twins which was published in 1986 by Print Hall. And then I have some pictures of the girls here at the end, and I will post that on our social media, because that's one of our goals for the new year, is to be better about posting. Um, we actually haven't posted since the Backrooms episodes, I don't think. So, on that note, go check out our social media. Links will be in the show note, show notes, link tree. Um, go check out our Patreon, which is back up. Again, we'll be on the link tree. Link in the show notes. Uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. If you can leave us a review 
or even a rating if you don't have time to type a review, please do so. We really appreciate it. We love to have feedback. Um, if you want to send us a story, a true crime su- suggestion for a schedule, send it to tcstpod at gmail.com. And make sure you put something in the description, like true crime suggestion, story time suggestion, anything. Whatever you want to hear, let us know. And we will get it on the schedule eventually. Um, anyways, just hope for Kirsten that she gets better. I think they're all starting to get better now. But that's all we can do. And wait for her to get back next week because this was so weird recording without her sitting across an empty chair. And I just want to say Happy New Year to everyone. I hope you guys enjoyed your new year and um, really start the new year off strong. Um, we definitely started, well, ended last year off strong with 43,000 downloads in total and 7,000 downloads for the month of December. Wow, guys, like we really appreciate you listening. When we started this podcast, we never thought people would actually want to listen to us. So, for us to have 7,000 downloads last month means a lot. And we did have somebody shout us out on the Instagram. On their Instagram. Hold on, let me go find their name. I'll be right back. Okay, I got to the Instagram. Jarissa Adams, thank you so much for shouting us out on Instagram. We appreciate you putting us on your story and for following us on the podcast. Thank you so much. Anyone else that's currently listening, thank you for listening so much. Like I said, we really appreciate it, and we hope to continue getting more listeners and people listening to us. It's been kind of crazy just watching the downloads go up and up. 7,000 is the most we've ever had in a month compared to last month, which was just 5,000. So we got 2,000 more downloads than what we had from the previous month, which is absolutely insane. January of last year, we had 1,000 downloads, and we ended the year strong. So again, we appreciate all our listeners. We hope you continue to listen. Please leave us a review or a rating, and we'll catch you in the next one. Bye.